Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 24 of the Eyes Have It uh, Baseball HQ Prospect Podcast. My name is Brent Hershey, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Chris Blessing. As we get going here, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and rate and review us. It helps spread the word about this uh, unique thing we got going on. Chris, looking forward to this episode. Sounds like you got to the uh, able to get to the ballpark this week. Yes, went three times this last week. Got to roam twice to see some Yankees prospects and, of course, Braves prospects there. And I also got to Chattanooga to see some White Sox and Reds prospects. How was your week, Brent? I had a pretty good week. Uh, Have not been to the park yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting out back at it uh, soon. Excited, as I said, for the show we've got this week. Uh, We'll get to our live look segment in a bit. But first, I think we ought to talk about what seems like a lot of people are talking about here in the fantasy community over this past week, and that's Stephen Kwan, um, success he's had um, in these uh, first 10, 11 days of the season or so. And uh, as Chris and I talked about it, uh, we kind of harkened back to things you had written about uh, uh, several years ago and wanted to revisit that with Kwan in mind. Yes, Brent. Every few years, someone who isn't in our top prospects list has like an unbelievable start or comes out of nowhere. I'm thinking of a guy like Jeff McNeil, who we'll you know, kind of discuss a little later. But uh, one that looks incredibly real, not some short sample size tease. And, you know, we know that, you know, Quan's 10 days have been a little different. He probably won't keep up this level of awesomeness. He hasn't kept up this level of awesomeness that we're about to go into. However, there are fundamental skills here, which I believe will remain and will kind of set a precedent for him. He set a few records over the first uh, games, but slowed down, of course, during the weekend. Brett, uh, would you like to fill us in on that? Yeah, I was, as, as we all know, just kind of amazing to watch uh, how he just got on base. Uh, I guess it was like 15 times in the first four games, in his first wow. four games, which is an LB record. Um, there was a, you know, the 116 pitches into his season before they registered the first uh, swing and miss uh, for him. Um, he finally did strike out. I believe he struck out uh, twice now. But, you know, he's on base first uh, 19 of his first 29 plate appearances, had eight walks in there. And then, of course, uh, the weekend came and, uh, you know, over the two games, they had, they had a rain out. Um, he went 0 for 7 with a strikeout, you know, kind of came to a halt. Uh, quickly for now, but still, I mean, in, in that little run and and being at the beginning of the season, it certainly um, you know garnered a lot of attention. What uh, I know you uh, put together, I think, his profile for uh, the minor league baseball analyst, our off season stuff. What did you have to say about him uh, over that time? 
I did uh, put that together. I am in charge of the Guardians uh, offseason work. So, you know, I looked at that whole organization and actually didn't rank him in my top 25, which we'll go over in a second. Um, Left-handed slasher bat. This is actually going to be straight from our uh, minor league baseball analyst um, player box. Uh, So left-handed hitting slasher. He tapped into gap power, leading to a career year and a 40-man roster slot, which seemingly every guardian got a 40-man roster slot last year. Fundamentally sound hitter, rarely swings out of the zone and strikes out at a low rate. Tapped into added power by adjusting swing trajectory, getting to double-digit home runs. Still hit over power profile. Can play all three outfield positions but only works as a regular in center field. I rated him a 7C. Now, obviously, not playing center field with Miles uh, Strahl um, playing center field for the Guardians. So, um, again, this is you know kind of talking about the difficulty of a projection. This is a non-typical corner outfield profile. that We knew going into this that he probably wasn't going to play center field. I know that there were some questions out there, but... Uh, the Guardians seem to be a team that value defense. And if you look at Miles Straw, he's one of the best defensive center fielders in the game. So we knew that Stephen Kwan would not be playing center field probably for a long time. We didn't realize that there was going to be an extension made to Straw. Uh, he got one of the three extensions the Guardians handed out during the first week of the season. So the long-term prospect for Stephen Kwan is he'll either play left or right field. And currently, right now in Cleveland, there's you know, kind of room to do that as a regular uh, player. <laughs> um, I guess that would be the best way to put it. As I had somebody on another team tell me, another organization tell me, they have, the Guardians have a lot of guys who could be the starting corner outfielders uh, coming into this season. So, like, Kwan wasn't alone here. Uh, but yeah. Quan was probably the best suited to make that debut compared to some of the other guys that they they had over there. So Brent got to watch him this week. I watched him too, but Brent's going to give a little scouting report, which is going to kind of mirror what I wrote during the offseason. Yeah, I, I went through and, and checked through some of his at-bats so far this year, and, and it, it does, um, you know, check out with kind of what you said. You know, he's definitely a spray hitter, kind of finds holes through – uh, throughout the field that are open, obviously, you know, gets the most out of this small frame that he has. Is this a 5'9", 170? You know, and just the incredible eye-hand coordination, uh, you know, fouling off tough pitches, uh, knowing when to lay off close pitches. Uh, he had some impressive walks in there. And, you know, I think one of the things that we always do uh, with players like this, even in short samples, is go to the StatCast page and if you haven't been there, it's uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, he's only had 25 batted balls so far. That's fine. But in those, he just has uh, one barrel, an 82.1 exit velocity, and a 16% hard uh, hit rate, which are all plenty in the blue, as uh, as you say, for uh, kind of being on the you know the negative side of what you're looking for. I mean, he is a player of extremes because on the other side, uh, you know, his contact. Uh, numbers are fantastic, and so the expected batting average that Stackhouse puts together is is you know very high. Um, he rates high in the plate discipline, but it's just kind of this the absence of anything hard hit 
he definitely sticks out as you're uh, as you're looking at him. And so I think it's a you know it's just a it's a huge, very unique profile in that way with those extremes. Oftentimes I think you know we see extremes of huge power guys with no plate discipline at all. And we think about those that's you know maybe those Joey Gallows or whatever that we can handle on our fantasy teams, um, where Quan is like just the opposite. And though he's going to add some value batting average wise, uh, I wonder how much kind of long term uh, impact there is from that perspective because of uh, the extreme uh, players the player he is with those with those. Uh, Characteristic. How uh, how does he compare uh, to some of the um, other kind of players from the past that uh, you've looked at at various uh, points in time uh, for us? Yeah. So um, before we get to that, uh, kind of want to point out uh, last year because I have some uh, I have some Statcast data. Don't ask me how I got it. Uh, But last year his exit velocity was actually a little higher than that. It was over. It was uh, over 85 miles per hour, somewhere between 85 and 88. I can't tell you specifics. Um, but, you know, he's hitting the ball a little less on average. Moving on. Uh, so I wrote an article in 2019, essentially trying to help people find this sort of profile. And this would have been a great thing if, if I had written up Quan last year. And, you know, Quan was a guy that was interesting enough um, last year that I probably should have redone this article. But anyway. Uh, we looked at Jeff McNeil in this article. We looked at um, uh, Tommy Lestella in this article. And then we tried to look for other pros- for prospects in 2019, guys like Luis Arise, uh, who has had a successful career, although not you know necessarily a starter or anything. I also looked at a prospect named Cal Stevenson, who's currently a AAA prospect um, for the Tampa Bay Rays. He had been an Astros prospect at one time. I saw him when he was with the Blue Jays organization. Uh, Forget what year he was drafted, but he was a 10th round pick, a senior sign. And he had a lot of the similar attributes to Stephen Kwan. The only difference was he didn't have that high contact rate. He was patient and all that good stuff. So uh, I included him into the article and I included another guy into the article too. Uh, Obviously, um, you know, Arise was the one guy that, you know, kind of, Keep the interest and uh, has been a major league player and a guy that's in most formats uh, as a solid you know, secondary piece, maybe even a third piece. Uh, and and Stevenson hasn't quite made it, which well for for the purposes of this article, him getting up to AAA, considering his uh, his path into the pro ball is pretty great. Bear down Arizona. He was an Arizona Wildcat. Uh, if anybody knows me, I'm a huge Arizona fan. Didn't pick him for that reason, but there you go. But let's re- revisit Jeff McNeil for a second. Um, I, have you been able to see Jeff McNeil at all this year, Brent? Uh, not this year, other than uh, maybe once, maybe in a bat or two, uh, but nothing notable yet, no. Yeah, he, he seems back. I mean, I know the last uh, season yeah. he wasn't really that great. Uh, I think a lot of it, there was some some issues going on in New York. Uh, I know that there was a, I think it was some sort of rodent uh, issue that ended up giving him <laughs> a black eye or something like that. But I mean, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a happy year for Jeff McNeil. Um, let's take you back to 2015. Um, I think it was the first uh, minor league baseball analyst I've rode in. Maybe it was 16, 2016. 
Uh, he had just finished up the season in St. Lucie. And I wrote this about him. Slap hitting utility infielder who has advanced further than anyone could have ever imagined. I personally had seen him in uh, playing for Savannah, which used to be the Class A affiliate for the Mets. He finished second in the Florida State League in hitting. Tremendous back control will slap balls through holes across the infield. Slight build doesn't allow for power to develop. Uh, well, you know, some power has developed, but he has also gotten a little bigger, too. Uh, we'll get most extra base hits down the foul lines. Uh, solid defensively across the infield. Athlete with plus foot speed uh, could play in outfield. And he has played in the outfield. Um, yeah. I, I, I got to see him as a third baseman, mostly. He's played mostly at second base and left field, seemingly for the Mets. Um, but he he's a guy that... It's the hit tool first. And for every McNeil, there's a Cal Stevenson. And for every Cal Stevenson, there's a Tommy Listella. Tommy Listella was all hit. Probably less power potential than Jeff McNeil at a similar point in development. And, you know, he had a few seasons where he was a playable regular um, in most fantasy formats. And I know in some deeper formats, uh, uh, I can't wait until he come, comes off the injured list because I, I do need the help uh, in the <laughs> corner infield position. Um, but anyway, these guys exist. And unfortunately, we maybe don't sell them as high as they probably should. But again, you were looking at guys, and, and Stephen Kwan's a perfect example, that don't fit the mold of the baseball player today. And it takes an organization like the Guardians. You could see this at the Astros organization or the Rays organization. There are very few organizations that would start a Stephen Kwan in a corner outfield position, mostly because teams are broken. Let's just put it that way. There are some good examples out there, and Brent and I kind of talked about this. I'll let Brent go first. He had he had the best example of it, of the of a potential Stephen Kwan guy. And yeah. uh, a guy in the Blue Jays organization, right, Brent? Yeah, we were just, uh, you know, kind of throwing some names back and forth and trying to think about who, um, you know, not necessarily who would be the next Stephen Kwan uh, because he started out so great, but kind of guys with those similar attributes, just like you were doing a couple of years ago uh, with that article. The guy I thought of first was uh, Toronto infielder, outfielder uh, Otto Lopez. Um, he's athletic, very athletic player, similarly sized to kind of Quan, um, known for his kind of back to ball skills, uh, was a double A Eastern league, uh, leader in batting average, uh, in, uh, 2021, even though he just spent half of the year there and then moved up to triple A, um, other, you know, share some other attributes. Quan kind of hits the gaps, but not really over the fence or over anyone's head. Um, he improved his plate discipline a good deal. Doesn't have quite the elite bat-to-ball skills that uh, Quan does. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely some qualities there. And, you know, and a little bit like Quan too, they're, you know, you're not sure where uh, he'll actually play. He's, he's different than Quan is that he's blocked, obviously, um, in the infield uh, for uh, Toronto with the infield they have set now. And, you know, maybe he can squeeze in the outfield. Um, but uh, again, sort of a, you know, it's not a defense first uh, kind of profile and it's, it's kind of up to the, uh, the Jays or uh, which, whichever team kind of picks him up and kind of can utilize him uh, to find a spot for him. But he's a, he's an interesting bat to, to keep in mind. 
Yes, and and Brent had another guy, and and this guy was actually somebody I'm familiar with from running up the Reds organization. That's Tyler Callahan. Uh, he's listed as the second baseman, but um, I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't know if second base is where <laughs> he's going to end up. Uh, also, um, when he was drafted, people uh, in the media even floated around a uh, catcher, and I actually asked a few of the area scouts. Um, since I'm in Georgia, a few of the area scouts around here also have North Florida coverage as part of their um, part of their coverage, and um, they were all very bearish on him being a catcher. But I think it kind of drove some interest in him among some fantasy, um, maybe some fantasy writers and fantasy players, but. Uh, another guy, very hitterish guy, uh, left-handed hitter coming off right now, Tommy John surgery, something um, that we're seeing more and more uh, position players uh, have to deal with. Uh, okay. compact, compact line drive swing, very easy movement. It's very simple. He doesn't have very long limbs, and, and it's very direct to the ball. Uh, he gets to the barrel of the ball with above average raw power. It's mostly gap power at present, and it's mostly because of a linear swing plane. Uh, the home run power is strictly down the down the line. Uh, the the difference between like Lopez and Quan is is Callahan's not a great athlete, and most scout, scouts just don't see him sticking on the dirt. And he might not have the offensive carry, which we didn't really talk about with Quan, but that offensive count carry, the traditional offensive carry at a corner outfield position is power. So yeah. Callahan doesn't have that. So a little bit different. Our final guy is another guy. Oops, I, I nearly just fell over. I'm so excited about this one. Um, <laughs> is a guy that I think if you go to other um, um, medium media sites where you know, they're not necessarily looking at the fantasy game and they're 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 mostly um, talking to scouts and that kind of thing. Uh, they tend to have this guy ranked a lot lower than than maybe some of the fantasy sites do. Uh, and and um, we had him actually as an 8D. And, and for those people who uh, the difference between an 8D and a 7C, 8D, we expect to be a, a, essentially a, a regular performer. Right. That, that's what an 8 is. Right. Uh, yeah, a little bit above that. Seven is yeah, a little kind bit of a, above that. Is a, right. Seven is kind of a major league regular. Eight is sort of a someone that, uh, yeah, is a little better than that, but not kind of elite. Yeah, not elite. Uh, so we had him in the 8D, which is uh, 40% outcome to get to that 8. While we had Stephen Kwan in the 7C. And honestly, right now, you can probably put Stephen Kwan in the 7B. I, I still would not go uh, higher than uh, a 7 on him. I I think in like an on-base percentage format, Kwan is, is, of course, better. Is probably an 8. Um, but most people don't play on-base percentage formats. Uh uh, and so would you agree with that, Brent, like that he would probably possibly be an eight and that um, of Stephen Kwan would be an eight in an on-base percentage league? Uh, yeah, because of the, sure, because of the yeah. type discipline he has of the strike zone awareness and that kind of thing. Yeah. But yes, but, but yeah. you're right. We, uh, our grades are, are usually just across the board for regular five by five, which is batting average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Palacios back to him. We got, a, I got a little, a little tangent there. Um, he's kind of like, I don't know, his offensive skills are much more attractive for five on five, uh, for five on five um, fantasy. He's a BA and on-base percentage uh, um, spray hitter type. 
He's a left-handed batter like Juan. They actually were drafted in the same uh, draft. Uh, Palacios came out of Townsend uh, in the third round, while Quan came out of uh, Oregon State. You know, same draft. So you can kind of see, like, maybe the Guardians were looking for a particular type of hitter. The difference here is while they have the similar uh, motives at the plate, Palacios has less contact, but has a actually greater eye. Like, he will take more walks and has had a history of taking more walks. I think the reason why we have him in the 8D is, is really because of his speed. He's much faster uh, runner than than Quan. So, like, there's a better chance that in those five-by-five five, uh, categories to really rack up some um, stolen bases and some average and, and, and some runs. The problem with uh, Palacios is he does not have a defensive position. And that is mostly why a lot of the prospect sites that are talking to scouts that are scouting, not necessarily for fantasy, but scouting overall, um, have him lower. You know, the reports are he doesn't really handle the dirt well. Even though he's a, a athlete, he doesn't ha, hasn't seemed to have the instincts for center field. So really, again, a left fielder without the offensive carry, without the power. Now he has speed. In the 80s, there's a better chance that plays. Now, with the Guardians, you never know. But, like, um, the, they, they have a high value on, on, on defense. Um, up the middle. So Palacios is probably not going to end up up the middle if he stays with the Guardians, but could be a decent um, decent play as a left fielder. I, I just don't see how Quan and Palacios can, can coexist in the same lineup. So Palacios is in AAA, so he's he's close uh, to finish, to, to a finished product. Yeah, there's a, there's a good, uh, good uh, wrap-up there. And just in summary, again, just kind of three guys that you know, the, to keep an eye on is Otto, Otto Lopez uh, from uh, Toronto, Tyler Callahan from Cincinnati, and Richie Palacios from Cleveland. So let's move on to our uh, live look segment. Chris, like as, as we said, was out uh, at the fields, at the parks uh, last week. The first guy uh, I want to ask you about is someone that I know you uh, had written up uh, for the site. And we may have, I think we talked about him briefly here on the podcast last year. And that's uh, uh, New York Yankee shortstop, Trey Sweeney. Um, I know in, in talking about him last year, you had mentioned something about the positioning of his hands, uh, you know, coming, coming right out of coming right out of college last year from the draft as something that he could uh, tweak. You know, the, you shouldn't be, we shouldn't be too caught up on. It was just something that you saw that could be improved. And it sounds like uh, that's happened. What did you see with uh, Sweeney? At first glance, he looked like the same guy. And and then, like, I'm I'm sitting there. He hits a triple in his first at bat that I see him, uh, hmm. which uh-huh. I was able to, which I was able to get a home to third time. So, that I mean, that's, that's like gold uh, when you're scouting yeah. a guy. Of course, I go and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm – well, all the scouts are there looking at everybody, and I pay attention to everybody because you find sleepers, and we'll talk about one of those sleepers that I feel like I kind of uncovered uh, during this trip to Rome to see Hudson Valley. Um, you know, I'm there really only concentrating on um, specific guys. So I decided that after the first three hitters of Hudson Valley came up, um, and I decided to hit on uh, some of my video from last year. 
And instantly comparing him at the next at bat, you could see that the movement of his, the, the, the change in his stance was only really in his hands. He's cleaned up all his pre-swing pre, um, movement in his batting stance. He's now moved his hands uh, actually pretty close to his body. It's nearly the same identical uh, stance. Uh, he's maybe moved up his hands just a, uh, just a little bit. And by getting his hands closer to the body, it has helped him cock his hands, get him to the hit position a lot quicker. So mm-hmm. he still has a big leg kick. That's probably the next step of, of the evolution of Trey Sweeney. By having his hands cocked back, it just enabled him to explode on the baseball so much easier and get to the point of contact, which the point of contact is usually out in front of the plate so much quicker and getting that barrel to that point. Uh, so very short, compact um, uppercut swing. Um, and it, I mean, not like extreme uppercut or anything like that. The one thing that I did notice is like the quality of his swing uh, remained the same throughout his um, his at bats um, that night. And then, of course, the, the next night I saw him, which was game three of the series. I, I didn't get to see game two of the series, which was when he struck out four times and had just an absolutely awful game. So I went back mm-hmm. and I watched that to see what happened. And it was some things that I saw in Florida last year when he was playing for Tampa. Um, still struggling with, with off-speed pit, um, pitches, specifically that uh, right-handed, since he's a left-handed hitter, that right-handed changeup that is tailing away from him and, and fading away from him. But the difference then and now is his swing isn't compl- – like, he completely lost the swing. At this point, he's just kind of out in front of it. Um, it's like his whole body is out in front of the ball and he can't control it. And that's where that leg kick – fixing that leg kick will um, – yeah. We'll probably remedy that problem. And I also have seen, and this was something I I, um, I caught up with a little, and I don't think I wrote about it, uh, but like a lot of the hitters in, in today's game, uh, the high fastball is a bit of a kryptonite right now for him. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and when I say that, it's the better velocity fastballs. Um, he had a home run in the game that I saw him against a, fast, against a very flat fastball that was – uh, that mm-hmm. just bled right into the middle, kind of at his belt, and just yeah. tattooed the pitch. Um, but like the higher pitches, just like so many major leaguers, um, it's a victimizing pitch for these guys. Uh, I do think Sweeney has a little more hit in him where he might be able to protect there, uh, mm-hmm. but it, it may never be that great, um, which which is okay. He sees he has other tools and. I would not throw him a fastball middle in. I mean, the guy's just going to explode on the pitch. He had four hard contacts in the first game I scouted him and one in the uh, third game. And and really, truly, I, I think the one thing that, that I did notice was that he was trying to force the issue instead of uh, laying back. That was another, another change. I think that was the organization telling him he was too patient. He's probably going to have to find a balance there. But that's why guys are in high A for this reason. Uh, I know, Brent, you've seen that thousands of times uh, going and watching games at Wilmington and at Jersey Shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. It's uh, yeah. And, and those, uh, you know, it's, it's great that you're, um, you know, when, when you can see those kind of small adjustments and uh, put those into the scouting 
uh, you know, projection. And uh, it, it, it sounds exciting as far as the adjustments that Sweeney has made. Yeah, and I know you saw uh, a couple other guys from the on the Hudson Valley squad uh, that you wrote up for the site that we'll go over uh, just quickly here. The first is Austin Wells, who those of us who were out uh, at the Arizona Fall League, uh, Wells had a great Fall League with the bat out there. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious uh, what you saw with him. He's a catcher, and I think they're at least, uh, my understanding out in Arizona Fall League, uh, there were some questions about whether uh, defensively, he's able to stick there. So what did you see uh, briefly with Wells with regards to both uh, the bat and the glove? Well, I mean, my evaluation didn't really change on him. Uh, I saw a guy that was kind of struggling, mm-hmm. mostly with timing. And I wonder if being sent back to high A had something to do with it, maybe not getting up. Um, he's obviously in high A because of his defense. Uh and, and that's always been a limiting uh, projection with him. Uh, he doesn't really have a strong throwing arm. Uh, he has worked with his defensive, uh, with the defensive coaches in the Yankees organization. A guy named Tanner Swanson, who's a big league coach, is one of the top catching coordinators in baseball. And I've written about him uh, in other articles before um, when he was with the Twins. But uh, and, yeah. and you've seen that, you know, Ryan Jeffers and Mitch Garver with the Twins mm-hmm. have really improved. And even Gary Sanchez last year uh, was improved. Um, you know, this this guy's kind of a catcher whisperer in some some respects. But the difference between those guys and him is uh, Wells is that Wells doesn't necessarily have the best arm. And it's almost going to need to be near perfect uh, throwing mm-hmm. mechanics to really get that to him. But as a hitter, this guy will work off fields. Uh, he'll take pitches, he'll work counts and stuff. But the real selling point and the reason why I was able to give him an 8C before the season and also during this look is this guy could probably possibly end up at first base and still be a top 12 performer because he can hit 25 plus home runs and probably with a BA between 250 and 270 and on base percentage in the 330-340 range. Like, you know, this yeah. is a quality player who's also a catcher. And of course, as a catcher, I mean, it's 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 a top five bat if if the defense can develop enough. Yeah, I mean, I just remember there were some uh, nice swings over several different games of that uh, weekend that we were out there for for Wells. Uh, so the bat is certainly uh, certainly the standout tool there. Uh, second guy is uh, Everson uh, Maria. Uh, outfielder who you um, again covered for us on the site and uh, sounds like uh, the power is for real for Perea. Um, what did uh, what can what specifics can you tell us about that and uh, how other parts of his game is, are coming together? So I was able to get Trey Sweeney open side for his home run. Um, and, and later on in the week, I got Matt McLean from the Reds who, who will be uh, probably talking about next week at the podcast. I'm trying mm-hmm. to, uh, because everybody's in town at the same time, I'm trying to separate those looks. Uh, but anyway, it out. <laughs> yeah, I was able to get open side looks on their home runs. Uh, un- unfortunately, with Everson, I wasn't able to. Um, I got a close side look. I-, I invite everybody to go to my YouTube channel. It's easy to find. I'll post it on Twitter, uh, a link to this particular video. I've never seen a home run hit this hard at this level. This guy just exploded over, over 
the um, scoreboard, which I don't think I've ever seen either. I've seen some guys hit the scoreboard, and I've seen some powerful guys. I mean, the most comparable home run was actually one of the first home runs I've ever seen in this stadium was a rehabbing major leaguer, current Cubs manager, David Ross, who hit a home run off of a kid in the Mets organization that I didn't come down for, for probably a year. This ball has yet to come down. Like it was that impressive of power. Uh, guys like Javi Baez in Double A, I've seen hit balls like this. Um, Adam Brett Walker for those uh, fans that yeah. have, like good power hitters with no hit tools. I mean that guy. That guy could. Hit, that guy could hit the ball for miles. Um, that's the sort of power. But what's so exciting with this guy is that there is. You know that other element that that there is some da there is some risk of course uh he has improved his strike zone discipline um he's a guy that has not seen the field much because of injury and of course the pandemic um i mean he had very limited play last year uh, i think i posted it in the article 19 home runs and 180 at bats across a ball affiliate so a dude who only had 180 at bats but like um this guy is and and some of those at bats were in the florida state league which is like notoriously depressing for hitting hitters mm-hmm. uh, especially with power but like um this guy's improved his patience it seems like he's taken another step in development um He's still like his swing plane does not really move within the zone. So he's going to have to fix that. Or, of course, better pitching is going to going to get to him. But that's the next step again. Uh, I have him graded as an 8D. So, um, you know, above average major leaguer, essentially uh, regular. Um, with a 40% chance of getting there. I, I, that was what I had in preseason, and that's what I still have him at. Yep. I, I just need I need to see him take one more step to get that uh, C, to, that D from a, to a C, and maybe hopefully eventually that C to a B. But again, it's never probably going to have a lot of batting average. Uh, might get to double-digit stolen bases early in his career, but like I don't anticipate that staying as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's the trick with uh, those those guys with uh, all that power is that's just one you know one one element of their game um, and the rest of it uh, has to be able to be good enough to kind of actualize it. I know you also kind of have a, a group here. Looks like two a, a kind of sleeper uh, Yankees prospects from that uh, that same Hudson Valley team. Um, do you want to tell us uh, about those two guys? Um, yeah, I got to see T.J. Rumfield, uh, and T.J. Rumfield was a guy that I saw uh, with Clearwater, and he got traded uh, to the Yankees in a small deal uh, that involved Donnie Sands. Uh, has Donnie Sands come up for the Phillies yet? Uh, not yet. Nope. I think he's their Triple A catcher at this point. But yeah, he was. Uh, I was wondering what uh, trade he was in, but um, yeah, Sands is their kind of backup catcher Triple A. Right now. Yeah, and, and like you know, Sands is going to be like I, I'm I'm a big Donnie Sands fan. I think that he is, yeah. he fits my backup catcher on like protocol, like the a guy that can handle the regular role for a few weeks, maybe a month mm-hmm. or so, but a yeah. guy that that's just going to be a solid um, and not really hurt you with the bat and and be a solid defender behind plate. But anyway, 
Uh, TJ Brumfield's this this really really long guy. Um, I forget what I think he went to Virginia Tech. He was a twelfth round pick, long limbed. Um, the difference in what was significantly different from him, from my view last year, is that he really cleaned up his load. Um, his hands, uh, you know, kind of like what we were talking about Sweeney, where his hands are just a lot quicker and smoother too. The hitting position. The difference here is there's a long, long limbs, and there's definitely some swing and miss here. There is also definitely um, swing playing issues as well because his bat is so long. Sometimes he will, uh, you know, elongate his swing by extending early. Um, and and mm. like, it, just picture that. Picture extending your bat, your hands early in a bat. It just makes it like almost a sweeping motion. And there were some 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 of the video that I took of his of his open side kind of saw that. But he's a left-handed hitter with serious exit velocity um, when he gets the ball. His his um, bat speed is plus um, when everything's going. He's not uh, extending early or anything like this. So like when you see a first base only prospect who's a left-handed hitter at this level with some hit possibility. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I know he's a right-handed hitter, but like I saw Adam Brett Walker at this same point in time who had a lot of bat speed and had a lot of power. Um, but like the, the other components for a hit tool weren't there. And of course people are going who the heck's Adam Brett Walker, but please look him up. Like uh, serious power, like some of the best power I've ever seen on any level. Um, but like Rumfield has has some mechanics to him, and there is a chance for the Yankees, a better developing org, to cut down on that swing some more and get yeah. to that exit velocity on a more frequent basis. Uh, he hit a towering home run, uh, just like Sweeney did, just like Pariah did. Um, like you know, again, another guy getting in on the action during this game. Um, so. Really like him as a sleeper, not a guy to really um, target right now unless you're in a really deep format, but somebody that, hey, you know, years down the line, two years down the line, he might be, you know, knocking on the door. This this guy could be a solid, you know, seven average player uh, once he makes his debut in probably about three years. Yeah, I mean, I see he's listed as 6'5", six, five, six, five, 225, so certainly the build is there, and uh, it sounds like the strength when he gets a hold of one um is there so it will be you know uh, as we all know you know first base is a tough position uh, to kind of stand really out from tough. but uh, we'll be uh we'll be interested to see what rumfield does uh, as he moves up the ladder i know you have a pitcher on here too it's a guy a name that i recognize but i didn't realize it was that uh he was drafted all the way back in 2017 that's matt sauer a right-handed pitcher for the yankees what did you uh see with sauer so he's a guy that, you know, through discussions with uh, Jeff Ponce um, from Baseball America when he was with Prospect Live, he was somebody that, uh, you know, data-wise really kind of, you know, hmm. shined. Uh, so he, I was really interested in seeing him uh, because of the injuries and command issues. I hate to use the word, but uh, in the Prospect community, he's kind of become an enigma uh, because it doesn't, like, um, it doesn't seem like he's moving as fast as his talent would dictate it. Um, mm-hmm. And like I saw some of that. Um, I saw some of his, his his talent. And I'll have a video up probably by the end of the week. I, I've edited it. I've just been lazy and not put it on YouTube yet. 
Uh, but it's his first inning, and like you watch it, and it's a it, fastball slider. I think he throws a changeup. The changeup can be thrown away. It's not really a great pitch. But the fastball and slider look like pitches that could work in the major leagues fairly soon um, in those clips. Um, fastball has good ride, especially when it's up in the zone. Um, and, you know, from his release point, which is kind of a um, I had him at like a high three quarters. Yeah. So like it, it's a different slot to get the sort of ride that he was getting uh, on his pitches. Um, uh, throwing 93 to 95 in that first inning. Uh, he also threw a uh, threw a slider in the mid 80s, uh, short break, sometimes too plain, uh, but mostly a, a vertical, late vertical uh, diver. In the second inning, he also profiled a curveball, which was in the, like the 79-80 range. But the problem was, after the second inning, the velocity kind of took a dump. And I was, uh, you know, I overheard a, a scout say that this was kind of like what he saw last year with him. Um, hmm. Again, this is his first start out of camp. So, like, yeah. let's, no, actually second start. I'm sorry. Second start out of camp. But it, he's been on a very low pitch count so far. So like I'm willing to, you know, be a little cautious with him, but like I see this guy as, you know, maybe gaining some miles per hour in the pen with a very quality fastball. And yeah. like I could see him in the big leagues next season easily um in, in that type of role. So a uh, very interesting guy who has late inning reliever upside. So um, and I, I saw a few other guys during this during this trip to Rome, you know, wait for Vaughn Grissom with the Braves. I'd like to see him a little more. Uh, he's he's their big prospect at Rome. Yeah, good. Makes sense. I know there's one other guy we got to uh, wanted to get to yet. And uh, it's, a familiar, it's a familiar name. Uh, this is a double A player uh, with the White Sox. Uh, Yol Yolkoi Cespedes. Um, who uh, I know we've touched on a little bit was that another guy that was out at the fall league uh, last uh, fall for uh, that weekend for first pitch Arizona and someone that I was curious about just because of uh, knowing that, it, that yes, he's Yoannis, his brother. Um, and there was uh, some buzz around there, but I didn't really, you know, nothing really stood out to me in a couple of games that I had seen. It was a little disappointing, but I'm curious uh, of what, of, of what you saw with him. I know I did see, uh, I did see one spring training game, uh, one or two spring training games this year that he was in, and the swing uh, looked a lot better to me. And uh, so I'm really curious to hear uh, with your look, um, is he kind of uh, what we thought he was or has, is he slowly improving also? I think he's improving. Um, for those who might not have listened last year when I talked about him, I actually chose not to go to the park because – uh, he was in such a bad way when he came through Chattanooga last year. But I saw him in the fall league. And the guy looks like Johannes. Um, and in the fall league, he even, his stance, his bat wiggle, all of everything was Johannes. Uh He's 5'9", just like like his brother. Like, yeah, like there are so many cops there. It, it was ungodly. You looked for the guy who looked like Johannes Cespedes, and that was him. Like that was, it was very easy to find him. He has calmed a lot of that pre-bat movement down. Um, and, and the other thing is, is before I get into this is he is not the athlete Yoannis was when he came up. So like 
there's the, that's where the similarities end. So like he's as powerful, but he's this bat doesn't get to the same sort of pitches. Uh, he doesn't have the same um, um, attributes in the field or even on the bases that a young Joanna Cespedes had. So um, coming at pre-bat movement has really uh, helped him, especially with his approach. Um, he was a guy that just kind of swung at everything last year and was really fooled by spin. Even even in the fall league, we kind of saw some of that. Um, so he cleaned up his hitting mechanics. He still looks a little bit like his older brother when he bats, but again, he's cocking his bat a little further back uh, now. Um, so he's able to get to that hit position a lot quicker. And he does have above average to plus bat speed. So like, you know, doesn't have that exceptional bat speed that his brother had, but like, mm -hmm. it, it's enough. It's enough. And yeah. on, on Sunday, a game that I didn't go to, um, which I am sad I didn't because he hit two home runs and Matt McLean hit for a cycle on seven pitches or something like that. Uh, oh, you were at the wrong like, game. <laughs> yeah, I was at the wrong game this week. But but then again, yesterday was Easter, so I had to make choices and I made the right fair. choice. Uh, that, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but, but yeah, um, you know, the power is for real with Cespedes, um, and, and both home runs were home runs I don't think he would have hit last year in double-A because I think he would have been so in between on pitches. And and mind you, you know, there was one decent prospect he hit a home run off of yesterday, but, like, um, the Reds total, like, the Reds double-A pitching staff is a very solid pitching staff. Uh, so, like, it, it was impressive that he was able to keep up his quick start against them, even though they might not have some of the bigger names except for uh, Brandon Williamson, who hopefully we'll get to in a podcast later on in the year. So, again, I think Cespedes is, um, you know, maybe an 8B hitter at this point. I really don't see the exceptional hitter that some people had hoped he would be. Uh, but I don't see the guy that I thought was a complete bust um, yeah. when I watched him on video and then saw him in the fall league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a little bit uh, what you said, that part of it, too. And maybe it's from listening to you from hanging out too long with you. <laughs> that was sort of my feeling, too, is that, uh, you know, there's kind of bust potential there as far especially given the name and kind of what uh you know what the expectations were so, so it's uh for him and for us and for everyone it's good to hear that there's um step forward for uh Seth and uh you know at double a uh it, it's not too far away that we might uh you know that we might see him in the show at some point yeah. in the next a, a 20 uh, a 2023 debut makes sense for him well great uh just about uh ready to wrap up here for uh this week um checking in for you what's on tap um this week are you i know you said you've got some goodies in the can from your uh week uh last week are you able to get out anywhere this week or um are you hanging out there at home well unfortunately chattanooga and rome are on the same schedule for like six weeks so this <laughs> week they're both on the road so gotcha. I am not, and, and my closest travel are playing teams like Rome and Chattanooga. So it's not really worth um, making any travel arrangements this week. So I'm going to concentrate my focus on some of the minor league baseball feeds, uh, specifically in low A uh, Southeast. Uh, last year, we only had Bradenton. Uh, this uh -huh. year, we have Bradenton and St. Lucie. And if you remember right, um, uh, from listening last year, we can also get a hold of StatCast data, or baseball savant data, very yeah. easily for these leagues. So, like, I already started watching uh, uh, the St. Lucie Mets team. 
you know, and then I'm going to try to refine watch video on Matt McLean. I think that I want to get a, a scouting report on him. I got some really good stuff on him. So I'll, I'll be working on yeah. that as well. Um, and, and also um, go to my TikTok channel. Um, I think it's uh, Chris Blessing HQ. Um, I might be wrong, uh, but I should be easily fine. <laughs> I'm going to try to start breaking down. I, I put one video that's a recap of um, my first okay. game out this year. I, I break down Trey Sweeney's first game, more like a recap, but we'll be going through different things. And I'll probably cover a... Um, a prospect who's struggling right now, kind of go through why he's struggling um, and talk about when a hitter hits in parts and how a hitter yeah. gets out of that um, sort of uh, predicament because that happens to gut major leaguers all the time. Hey, Brent, are you going to be heading out this week? Uh, it's still to be determined. Um, I realized today that actually that Hickory, the high A team for Texas, is in uh wilmington this week um so i may uh see if i can get down there uh depending at least one time depending what some of the pitching matchups are um it's an easy trip for me and um oh, but yes. if not uh, but if not we'll bring uh we'll bring some good stuff uh either way for next week's episode yeah they've got some interesting arms with the crawl dads owen white's there uh ricky uh venasco and uh uh, Takoa, uh, Roby, uh, like there's some really good yeah. pitching. And of course, uh, you know, the Rangers, uh, seem to be doing really well with some of these bats lately, but Evan Carter's there and Aaron Zavala, two guys that I'm looking forward to seeing. So I yeah. hope you get out there, man. Good. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, may, I may attempt to do that. Uh, then I had forgotten about the two, several, those two hitters you talked about. Um, so that's, that's good for sure. Until then, uh, we thank everybody for listening to this episode of The Eyes Have It. Uh, You can certainly contact us. Uh, We'd love to have some listener questions for anybody that would care to join us. Uh, You can reach out to us via email at theeyeshaveit at baseballhq.com or on Twitter. Chris is at C underscore blessing. And you can find me at Brent HQ. Thanks for subscribing and listening. And we will talk to you next week. Peace. Thank you.